that is the big question that I always ask people is, is this a business you want to always just spend your time in? Or at some point you're looking at, I would like to take a break, spend more time with my family and then re-engage at different parts. Then that need operational efficiency is key. And getting the people to support it is also key. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. Today, Bell Neba is my guest. How are you, Bell? I'm good. Thanks, Matt, for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And it's great to have you on the show today. Bell's executive director of Africa Ebora, which is a digital media marketing company that supports small businesses to effectively compete in a global economy. And her marketing brand, Ubora Marketing, helps overwhelmed and busy entrepreneurs accelerate their growth online. And she's also the founder of African Vibes, a media brand that celebrates contemporary Africa. So let me ask you first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your marketing company? And then also, I'd like to, to ask you a little bit more about the African Vibes brand as well. So. Sure, sure. So Yubora Marketing is, like you said, it's a digital marketing company catering to, to handle overwhelm, especially not just startup entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs that are trying to scale. One easy challenge that they encounter is the issue of overwhelm, whether it's trying to deal with the ever evolving and growing need to be online. There are people that are, they don't want to spend your time. Most of our clients say, I don't want to become a marketer. I don't want to be on Facebook 24-7. I don't want to be figuring out what to put on Instagram. They don't want to do that. But those are great you know, channels for inbound marketing and all that good stuff. So we help take that off their plate and we help them sometimes you know, set up systems so that they can have operational efficiencies and scale their businesses in that regard. Nice. There's definitely digital overwhelm by people. I mean, I have conversations every day where people don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you're trying to talk to the business owner and you're like, like everybody knows like Facebook, Instagram now. And then you get into like TikTok and like there's like Parler and MeWe and all oh, these other yeah. ones that are kind of popped up. And they're just like, I don't even know what you're talking, talking about. WeWe or something. <laughs> you're like, no, it's MeWe. <laughs> But let me ask you about African vibes because I was looking at I was looking at the website there. It's really cool, actually. It's got some really neat stuff on it. So why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so African vibes is I think one of the first formal businesses that I kicked off. It used to be print. We're not doing print anymore, but it used to be a print publication, and it was a passion project of mine. I'm an immigrant to the United States from Cameroon, and. When I came to the United States, I just didn't see enough stories that highlighted positive Africa or even just the hope that was coming out of Africa it was always the strive. And of course, we know that that exists. There's war in some countries, not every country. There are conflicts here, conflicts there. You could find challenges and issues in any con on any continent. Of course, Africa is a continent. And it doesn't mean that there's no good. And so when you, the only narrative you see about the place you're from is negative. It sometimes is a downer. You know, I'm one of those believers in the possibility of better. And I wanted to see that possibility. I wanted to see African resilience. I wanted to see people like me doing good or stretching and doing things in spite of the challenges that confronted them. So 
I was hoping somebody would create a channel or an outlet that I would be able to get that. And at some point I realized I was that person that I, I was waiting for. There's no point in waiting for other people to solve our problems. If you feel that a problem needs to be solved, you take the responsibility, take ownership and do your part. And that's what I did with African Vibes. And so it's there. It's now all online and it still continues down that path of, you know, promoting contemporary positive good that's coming out of the continent. Nice. And there's, I mean, people sort of think of Africa like a country when you talk to them here. It's kind of weird, right? Yes. They're always like, like they just loop like all of Africa into one thing, like as if it was like India, you know, because yes. that has about the same population, except that you could fit like a hundred of, of India into Africa, probably, if not more. Oh, yeah. Africa is huge. Oh, yes. And you could, you could fit India, North America, China. You could all fit them into Africa and there would still be room for more. Geographically, it's a massive place. Yes, it's a massive, massive place. It has, you know, over 50 countries with diverse cultures and different at different stages of development. So there is no one narrative that's all African, meaning you can't just say, oh, Africa is in conflict and then it's right. That won't be because the entire continent is not in conflict. There might be conflict in some country, but it doesn't mean the entire continent is in conflict. It just means that country is in conflict or that region is in conflict, but there are other places that don't have that problem. So it's a massive, massive place. So one of the things that I, I really liked about the African Vibes site, it's got like a like it doesn't look like news here where everything is is like a whitewashed stock photo. You know, like every photo looks like, you know, like a guy and a girl leaning over a laptop, you know, yeah. they all look the same. Right. The stock photos all look the same. Mm -hmm. Do you have photographers in Africa that take some of these photos or are they like do you do you get them from a source there or like? Oh, it's from diverse. We curate. So you have different sites that provide photos for different needs. And sometimes the story you're telling, depending on who it's related to, they can provide that for you. So it's diverse means of getting, um, acquiring the images to support the stories that we're trying to tell. And we do have our moments of hitting the stock photo, you know, libraries. We, we do have that for some of the stories that we want to tell. So there's that too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like having multiple stock photo libraries to use for marketing stuff because we use, I don't know, we probably have five or six different ones. So we have, I don't even know, it's got to be five million photos to pick from. Of course, you also have the problem where you have five million photos to pick from. Oh, yeah. It, it, can, it can get overwhelming very fast. There's a serious lack of diversity in stock photography, though. I know it's starting to change a bit, but... Man, it was bad there for a while. A lot of it is because stock photo is purchased inexpensively from photographers in like Europe. Yes. And, you know, like Eastern Bloc countries. So, you know, everybody looks like what they think. Like I said, it's it's Bob and Janet, the white 30 year olds leaning over a laptop. Yeah, I mean, that was the challenge. When I started African Wives, it was what over, you know, 15 years ago. It was a bigger issue then. At the time, I was really struggling and I kind of needed more stock photos. It was print and for certain stories. And I kept looking, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then it was an agency I worked with that was based in Africa that helped with, with the photography. But it was definitely a challenge. Now, now that has, I would say there's been a leap because sometimes I see this photo, I'm like, wow, you know, somebody's actually 
going through the trouble and telling this, creating this new set. So it's quite exciting to see that slowly diversity is indeed creeping in. I can, you know, incorporate that. And sometimes I'm even pleasantly shocked where I want to do something and I need maybe an African and an Asian guy in the same photo and I'm able to find a photo like that. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, good. it's incredible. So we were talking earlier about how Africa as a continent is really becoming a lot more technologically advanced and developed mm-hmm. now. A lot of a lot of people have think of, you know, they think of Africa and they think maybe, you know, a couple of countries like South Africa or something are modern. And then the rest of it is just Savannah or something. Right. Yeah. You know, people don't know anything about it. But I mean, there's actually a lot of tech coming out of there now. And there's yeah. been a really kind of a resurgence of, of this entrepreneurial mindset is very big in Africa, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people there who have had to fend for themselves for generations, right? Yes. Or they could be farmers, business owners, whatever. And now they're getting into digital because of access to technology and access to Internet and all those things. Absolutely. Do you think there's going to be a lot more development in Africa and a lot of kind of more maybe North American businesses working with African businesses in the future? Absolutely. I think when you look at, let's take Silicon Valley, for example. I mean, you can't necessarily exhaust ideas. There are still ideas that will be born and taken to Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley fosters a culture that encourages out-of-the-box thinking. But at the same time, the ideas are still more of the same. And I think when you see the number of the big hitters from Silicon Valley, whether it's Facebook or Google or Microsoft and all these big hitters making their way into Africa, it's because the most exciting thing of innovation is where you're solving tangible problems. And Africa has a lot of opportunity for addressing problems, not in the old ways, but in new ways. And so I believe you would see more and more as from the tech sector, as far as Africa is concerned, because of this dynamic playing out, you see these big hitters that have already created a culture of innovation here in the U.S., taking that now and then tapping into the youthful African population that are hungry to learn, you know, and they're very quick, they're smart, and showing them how only with, you know, some coding skills here or a little bit there, they could create and solve tangible problems. You're going to see a lot more of that. I mean, it's already happening. You have the, you know, Africa Tech Summit. You have all these conferences that are bringing young people together and having these conversations, more venture funds going uh, into supporting projects on the continent or projects that serve people on the continent. So I definitely see a leap happening in in that regard. Yeah, I think there's going to be a big jump in kind of lightweight technology that comes out of Africa because of, you know, some, some bandwidth limitations and stuff, but they're going to be skipping all the copper line internet and stuff that we had to live through here. Right. And dial up modems and all that horse shit. And then, you know, just dealing with all that crap that comes with it and all the infrastructure and going straight to wireless straight to, you know, like Leo satellite type internet. And also I think there's been this sort of move with countries to kind of block off their internets from other countries, right? Like Russia has their own internet now and, you know, you have to have specific devices to use for that internet Mm -hmm. and uh, they just change the protocol. And then you're having like, you know, cable providers, the United States fighting with, with the FCC and the government to be able to lock down what you can and can't go to on the internet on their, you know, and 
I think all of that kind of stuff is going to probably generate, you know, maybe like like a second internet, maybe some kind of distributed blockchain version of the internet where you have no service provider and, you know, the just all you have is the carrier, like whether that's satellite or 5G or whatever. And then the internet itself is is not data centers and all this kind of stuff. It's distributed applications across, you know, some kind of blockchain technology. But I don't want to get too much into that. I mean, that's probably a little more developer side than most people <laughs> are that listen to our show actually want to know about. So I want to get back to it. I don't mean to go off on too much of a tangent. I'm not like, like you're not the spokesperson for Africa, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that we were talking about it before. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. But so another thing that we had discussed before the show was talking about businesses and business owners and stuff that maybe don't have the processes in place to do marketing. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Because I thought that was really important. Yeah, so absolutely. So when many people, when they go into business, there, there's the passion-driven thing that gets you into business. And, you know, people get out of that initial phase of survival and they're at a point where they're, they're trying to grow. But then you find they've tried the best they can. They don't have operations that would help them scale. But they recognize that in order to grow their business, they need to also leverage the technology around them. Some of them are already using some of the technology or they went to a conference or somebody told them, hey, you know, you can be growing your business on Instagram or Facebook or any of that. So they say, okay, I I think I should be doing that. But they haven't looked in-house or taken any audit of, can I support any growth coming from these platforms for starters? Or can I even support being on these uh, platforms? So some of the clients that we have, we've had to try to, you know, not only educate, but take them back to, okay, first we need to build that foundation. For example, we've had clients who had no CRM. And so we're saying, okay, we kind of need a CRM because of the kind of product that they're having and they're using sheets and Excel and really, you know, struggling. I mean, for them, it works, except it's a very resource intensive way of doing things and then trying to get data to see what's working, what's not working. It's kind of cumbersome. So we have to first convince them that before we can even start talking about building your funnel or putting together this inbound marketing strategies, we need to First, establish the foundation, because I I am also of the belief that there's no cookie cutter solution to marketing. And so we always have to test and see what works. But for us to test, we need data. And for us to get that data, we need a system that can collect that information for us and organize it in a way that we can now interpret the data to see what we can improve on. So that to me is one of the big gaps that I see with uh, growing businesses is they don't put enough emphasis on their infrastructure and their systems or processes. And I get why. It's not their core competence and it's not something they may even think that they need. And so it's really sometimes an education to even get them to that conversation, to understanding the, the value of having that set up done. And I've seen so many businesses that have that issue. And you know what's interesting is that you can get a lot of businesses who are really good at process on half of their business and terrible about it on the internet side, right? So maybe they're like a manufacturer or something and they're using like lean manufacturing process and they've, you know, drilling into all the stuff and their schedules are honed in on their staff and everything is is working like clockwork. And then you go over to their marketing and it's like, 
they have crap on different computers and nothing and nothing's a CRM. They don't have any kind of data. You know, it's in Excel sheets on <laughs> sitting on a computer instead of, you know, somewhere where people can share them. And yeah, and you know what? It's a good idea to look at your own company's processes mm-hmm. and say, what, what is the time consuming part of the, each of these processes, like these things that we have to do repeatedly, and then see if there's any way to automate a piece? Absolutely. Absolutely. It saves so much time. A good example is this podcast. So I wanted to go to two episodes a week, but I was spending about four hours per guest getting the finding them. Yeah, having like a pre-interview or something and then and like going back and forth with the scheduling and then writing out what we're going to talk about and then typing up the questions, doing the research and getting everything done. And I was like, I can't spend eight hours a week on this if I switched to. So we were able to automate both our process of finding guests and our process of getting them booked in and calendaring, which you went through, right? Mm-hmm. So you go in and you type all your own stuff in instead of me having to type it in. Yes. And each guest does their own thing. And then it does some automation that puts it on my calendar and it sets up scheduling for when we're going to you know, record. And then I simplified the process of sending it to Dan, who does our editing for the podcast. And now it's it's smooth. You know, we're recording stuff into the end of for the end of January right now. And it's only December, right? Yeah. And that's the efficiency, right? Because the, and I don't think there's a, a finite point where you finally say, okay, I've achieved operational efficiency and I'm done. There's that constant looking at it. Is there a way it could be better? What definitely makes it easier, though, is when you even have something established that you can even start looking at, like, okay, I I used to spend eight hours. Okay, now we've reduced that to two. That's great. And now we can do these or just any other things that I could give out to somebody. So my involvement is just the interview and it's it's done. And that's the piece that I think gets underestimated a lot is that how can I get to operational efficiency? I remember I was on an interview once and I was being asked, how do I define success? And I told the lady, I think she was probably expecting me to say, oh, if when I've made this much money, then I'm successful. You know, money is great, but success to me is freedom. It's where my businesses can operate without me being involved. And I measure that by how much time can I take away from my businesses and they still thrive without me. To me, that's one of my key matrix of measuring success. So it's the same that I share with my clients is how much time can you take away from your business and your business still continues. If zero is the answer, then you don't have a business. You have a job. You just created a job for yourself, which you might enjoy. You're feeling overwhelmed and slowly hating it because you can't breathe. You can't enjoy the fruit of your labor. And now you need to get efficiencies. Now, in some instances, for example, with marketing, you don't need to build all of it in-house. If you can have your needs completely dealt with by an agency, you know, not all agencies come in different with different things and different solutions. But if you can find the right fit, then they already have the operational efficiencies and then you have them handle it because that's not your core competence. But you have to identify the areas of your business without, for me at least, is, that is the big question that I always ask people is, is this a business you want to always just spend your time in? Or at some point you're looking at, I would like to take a break, spend more time with my family and then re-engage at different parts. Then that need, operational efficiency is key. And getting the people who support it is also key. Yeah, I've heard it called dancing bear syndrome. 
<laughs> and that's when the bear stops dancing, you stop making money. And if that's you in your business and you stop working and your business stops making money, then you have a problem. Yes. yes. And yeah, I, I, it's so interesting. Just some of the things that happen when, you know, you talk to businesses and business owners and, you know, something that, that I think is important to touch on is capacity. And that's, you know, what we're talking about here is operational efficiency is so that you can have more capacity, right? So you could take in by capacity, we mean you can handle more clients or you can ship more products or whatever that is, right? Correct. So the problem is people say, well, I'm going to hire an agency because I think we can afford to do it and it'll get more business, then we'll make more money. But what they haven't looked at is, can I handle it when I'm starting to get 20 more phone calls a day or, you know, if I'm going to whatever that amount is, 20 more a week or two more a week or who cares? It doesn't matter what the amount is. The amount is, can I handle it when it comes in? Because there's nothing worse than having the leads going in and then the company that is working is getting frustrated because they're not getting any more business because they don't have time to follow up with them. Right. That happens a lot. Correct. And I've seen I've seen that absolutely. I think in our field that something we see. I'm like, okay. And I think the hard part with that is it's because I struggle when I see that. I, I'm like, okay. I've actually had to pull some clients. I'm like, we have to fix this. I've helped clients boost their team because of it. I'm seeing them leave because they thought they wanted it one thing, and you try to convince them that you need something more. And like, oh no 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 no. I just. Let's just focus on this one thing. That's what I know I need. Why don't you let me tell you? I'm like, okay, okay. We can fix that one thing for you, but I'm I'm certain you're going to hit this roadblock. And just like clockwork, I get that call. Okay, Bill, you know, you were right. And I'm like, we could have saved ourselves this whole trouble if we had addressed it properly. You're absolutely correct. What is your, your capacity to handle the volume, whether it's to, it's to your business structure where you can automate some of that. For some clients, we've had to do that where, again, we automate it. We do the, you know, the whole conversion process through some kind of funnel or email nurture system to kind of reduce that volume so that by the time that somebody's getting to them, it's really a hot lead. We, we try to do those, those things. And then there's some opportunities that come in cold and you kind of have to deal with that. But it's a, that, that's a great, great question to first of all answer. Not, oh, you know, I need more leads and what do I need to do to get more leads? The first question is, but am I able, do I have the capacity to handle the new leads when they come in? Yeah. And that could be, you know, it, it's not necessarily leads. It could be like in e-commerce. I see it happen a lot where it's lead time on getting the product done like in the product manufactured or printed or customized or whatever the business is. And so you'll get that call as an agency, we'll get that call and we'll be like, you know, what's wrong? You know, cause it looks like everything's doing great. Sales are great. Everything's great. And they're like, we're four weeks behind on delivery, you know, <laughs> and you're like, well, now that's terrible yeah. because now what you've done is just had people pay you to in the world of, you know, two day Amazon delivery. Now they're all going to get angry and they're going to start emailing. They're going to be calling. They're going to be putting crap on your social media and your ads about how you're a ripoff. Off and Correct. I paid for this, and it's been two weeks, and I never got my thing. And and the reputation then suffers. You know, you were getting busy, but now all of a sudden, it would backfire. So capacity is a key, key question that needs to be addressed for proper 
growth acceleration to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Capacity and tracking. Yes. And, uh, and follow up. Oh, yes. Are a few of the things that, I mean, if, if there, I mean, I see businesses all the time. If they just had a follow up process, like I'm not even saying if they improved it, just to have one period. They would make so much more money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They have well-qualified leads going through their process that say no for whatever reason. They never follow up with them again. And, you know, I think the statistic is something like only 4% of qualified leads will buy on the first time they have a conversation with someone. Oh, yes. But if you have five conversations with them, it goes up to like 40, right? Yes, it's that's why you nurture leads because the very at any one time a very small percentage is ready to buy. But if you've already invested in getting that initial handshake, that initial connection, to not nurture it is terrible. You have to nurture it because they may not be ready today, but you want to be top of mind when they're ready. It's happened even to me. I have had I had this lady. She had a photography business. I needed her business, but at the time when we were talking about it. There were things I wasn't clear about how I wanted to, to use her services. And so I was like, you know what? Let's definitely keep in touch. There was never a follow-up. And I've run into her twice, reminding her, no follow-up. So I went in with somebody else and I thought to myself, I was ready. Pretty much, she had pretty much had the sale. I was a hot lead, hot lead that she just walked away from. You know, and I, I had other people. I was already sold on her. And I had other people that I had already sold her too. So it, it's, it's a sad follow up is key. Some of it is so easy too. Like I a hundred percent think everybody should have an email program that has email snooze Yes, where you can take an email comes in from somebody and they say, Hey, oh, I'm not ready to deal with this right now. And you just message back. Oh, you know what? No problem at all. You know, I'll, I'll shoot you a message in a couple of weeks or something. And then you hit snooze two weeks in your email or your CRM. Right. Oh yeah. And then you call them back in two weeks, you know, or like if somebody, you talk to them, like you've met somebody in person, right. You ran into them and then you could just pick up your phone and you can say, Hey Siri or whatever your phone is. Right. Or okay. Google. Oh, sorry. Now my phone's going off. <laughs> <laughs> Say that and just be like, set a reminder to follow up with Belle in two weeks about family photos. And that's done. And then in two weeks, your phone's going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would have been a reminder. Yeah. No, it was, it was because I'm the beauty of, of my, I always tell my clients that I'm also my client. I think I've gone through the challenge that I go through. I, and I still go through some, sometimes even what I do for my clients, I don't always do for myself and I know that it works. And so I have to remind myself because I know what it's like. I know that sometimes the rejection you're getting right now is not the final no. I was working on a serum with a client and, you know, we were tagging certain leads that I thought they needed to follow up. And they were like, oh, no, 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 we'll just dump that. I'm like, really? These people are not saying no. They're giving you a reason why they can't buy from you right now. That's not a no. That's money on the table. Just follow up with them later and see if the situation changed and just get to deeply understand what the issue was. And then I, and every time I have this conversation, then I realize there's another issue is uh, they didn't have a proper sales process, no proper sales script. And, you know, so you start with, I'm helping you with marketing and slowly you realize that there are other issues that need to be addressed. Now, it's fortunate. I'm fortunate that I'm not, I'm also a business person. So I'm familiar with a lot of things. My background is in systems, which helps a lot. So I'm able to get into different places and I've coached entrepreneurs. So I'm able to get into a business and 
see some of these things quickly and say, okay, this is kind of where you need to, to go and, and not go beyond even what we, we started out with. But you, you see these little things and you know that fixing this here, like the example you're giving, I could send you leads, but if you can't, you know, follow up with the leads, it's you, you've invested money in getting this done and you're still not able to, to make good of it or, you know, you don't have a good feedback loop. So there are different challenges that entrepreneurs face. And the reason I started even helping with the issue of systems and processes going beyond digital marketing is sometimes you're sitting with an entrepreneur and they just glaze over. I remember one time, you know, I was doing, when COVID just started, I was meeting with entrepreneurs. They had the quick free 30 minute call and we'll talk through your biggest challenges. And I could just look at him like, oh boy, here's your problem, your problem, your problem, your problem. All right, you could take it and go, you know, deal with it. And one lady just said, I just want to focus on, you know, my, I think she was doing this meditation and I just want to do that. I don't want to think about marketing. I don't want to think about systems. Can you just help me do that? I don't so, and I could feel her pain. She didn't want to think about the business of being in business. She just wanted to serve her clients. And that is a challenge I see with so many entrepreneurs. They want to stick on the passion side, all these operations and marketing and all of that stuff they don't want to deal with, which is a necessary part of doing business, which is why certain agencies like myself start positioning ourselves as we can help with the marketing and putting together some of the foundation to take that load off. Yeah, I think it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast and I can't remember the gentleman's name right now but he had said if you train somebody else to do a task that you do weekly or you automate a task that you do weekly it can take 30 times as long to train them or automate them and it'll still pay off before the end of the year so if it takes you 30 hours to train somebody to do something you do every week by the end of the year you'll have gained 20 hours back of your time so it may seem like it's a lot of work to do, get the processes in place and stuff, but it actually pays off immensely in the long run. I don't know how much time I have saved when I automated the sign up and the for my guests for the podcast. Like I'm probably saving 10, 15 hours a month easily. And that's time I can spend with my clients. Yes. Yes. I don't have to spend doing all the busy work. That's not the best use of your time. You know, I think as the business owner, your key thing is really looking at the revenue generating opportunities, not spending time on the operational things that are not directly revenue generating. People, they enjoy doing that, but it's a distraction um, from what really needs to be getting done. The key thing is to quickly get these things off, off your plate. You know, I've had entrepreneurs struggle with the idea of you know, outsourcing certain pieces that they're just married to in your business because they see it almost like their identity. And I'm looking at it as that's not your core thing here. Hand that over so you're more free to do, to operate in your zone of, of genius. But it's, it is a, you know, a, a journey for some people just to even embrace that idea, but a much needed step to scale a business. Right. And all you entrepreneurs out there or business owners who are trying to figure out WordPress or figure out how to do bookkeeping, just outsource it. Get somebody else to do it right now. That is not your thing. No. You don't need to be doing that. No. You should be working on what you're good at and not trying to figure out why your website doesn't load properly. Like have an expert go fix that thing for you. 
don't try and set up your home office or your network office. Have somebody who knows how to do it come do it for you. 100% do that, right? Absolutely. That's the wrong and people think they're saving money. I don't I don't I don't get it. All they're doing is adding frustration to their life. Yes. The thing I love is pretty much every mistake I sometimes talk to my clients, but I've done it. I've sat trying to figure things out. I remember before I hired my bookkeeper, one day I just sat and said, why am I doing this again? <laughs> what is the point? And it wasn't even expensive to get a good a, a good bookkeeper. And every time we meet once a month and my books are tidy, I just have to answer some questions here and there. I'm like, why was I ever doing this in the first place? It doesn't really save you. You're, you're putting time in the wrong bucket. To me personally, I really believe you find what you're good at. The one, of course, I would say the last thing, and that's my personal opinion. The last thing you want to outsource is sales because you kind of have to get that part right before you you hand that over and train somebody and say, okay, this is how we want to be doing it. But almost everything else you can actually outsource. You can, especially the administrative things, whether it's bookkeeping, maintaining your website, you know, marketing, you can totally outsource those things and not have to worry about them. And then focus on connecting with your ideal client, getting that message incorrect. And at some point you'll be able to outsource that to, to a sales team that can now replicate your sales methodology, whatever you've set up for your business and skill that way. Right. So many examples like I mean, the bookkeeper thing is just one of them. We went to Gusto for payroll instead of manually doing our payroll and saved like four hours a month. And the, the, the employees logged into the system and recorded their own hours. So we didn't have to add it up or anything like it just automatically paid them. It automatically did all the taxes. It automatically came out of our account and it automatically sent all the stuff to our bookkeeper. Like it was night and day how much better of a system it was. Right. So hey, let me ask you this question before we go. This is actually going to be the last podcast of December when it comes out on December 29th. Okay. So do you have anything that you think is a good piece of advice going into 2021 for business owners? Absolutely. Plan your year, but don't set the planning stone. So, but plan your year. What, What do I mean by that? So sometimes we plan and we get so tied up to the outcomes. I I see your big annual goals as your compass because my belief in business is you will always pivot. If you're not pivoting, then I'm not quite sure that you're in the right kind of entrepreneurial mindset because you have to be growing and adjusting and learning about your clients and, and, you know, readjusting along the way. So because people start in one place and they usually end in another place, you cannot 100% anticipate what that end may look like because you're going to be growing and evolving. But set a general direction for the year and then start mapping your big things or big milestones that you want to hit so that you at least have a sense of direction. Don't jump into the year and roll into it and just hope that things work. A methodology I'm going to recommend, which is one I use, is the OKR, Objectives and Key Results. I don't know how many people are familiar with it. It's really simple. You start with your quarterly objectives, of course, after having some sense of what you want to accomplish for the year. Then you set your quarterly objectives and then put your key results of what are the outcomes that you want to measure for the for the you know objective. And then you measure your efforts towards that and you pivot along the way. So to put it in a nutshell, plan for the year, but don't set the plan in stone. Nice. Bell Lima African Eubora. It's AfricanEubora.com. It'll be in the show notes, but it's Africa and 
or sorry, African. So A-F-R-I-C-A-N-U-B-O-R-A.com. Belle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Matt. Always my pleasure. And we'll have the show notes at hookseo.com slash podcast. And we'll see you guys in 2021. Awesome. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.